All right. You are listening to CKDU 88.1 FM in Halifax, Nova Scotia. We are currently listening to Bonje. This song is called How Come. We also heard Medicine for Melancholy and Ingenue. And now we have Ian and Alana from Bonje on the phone. Hi. How's it going? Hey. Hello. Hello. How are you guys today? Good. We're sitting in uh, Alana's apart- apartment, looking at the CN Tower on a nice day in Toronto. Okay, that sounds really great. Uh, not so nice here today in Halifax, unfortunately, but that's kind of that's kind of de rigueur here. It's always a pleasure for me to talk to people from my hometown of Ottawa, Ontario. Uh, oh. Yeah, and uh, I understand that Ian and Alana, you both have had experience volunteering at the campus radio stations uh, in Ottawa. Yes. We were, we were kind of uh, rivals, I guess. But I was at CHUO at Ottawa U, and Ian was at CKCU at Carleton. Yeah. I feel like uh, that, that's how I got my my start in music. Really, I kind of come from DJing and being a fan of, of music more than coming from being in bands and stuff like that. When I was in high school, I got the show on CKCU, the Carleton University station. And I, I think I partly got it to like try and get girls because I thought <laughs> it was a really cool thing to have your own radio show. But uh, that was my real, that was my musical education. There's no way that Bon Jay would exist today um, if, if I hadn't, you know, like gotten into the depth and breadth of music that I did doing college radio. That's hilarious, Francella. You had tweeted that the mysteries will reveal themselves, and we weren't entirely sure what that meant until that very moment that Ian revealed that he went to Campus Community Radio in part to get girls. Why did teenage boys do <laughs> really? I had uh, I had more noble aspirations going to Campus Community oh. Radio. I just come out of uh, super pop R&B um, and had released my first single on uh, the pop urban station in Toronto. And it didn't go very well. It didn't go very well, uh, my experience in that world. So when I went to university, I was looking for my people. And um, uh, a friend that I had met in, in class invited me to go to the, to the campus community radio orientation. And I just I fell in love with the open nature. And I loved just walking through the aisles of the music library and randomly picking out a CD or a record and not knowing, uh, essentially judging the music by its cover, but not knowing what I was going to find and find anything. Um, and I think that that, that led me to finding the indie community that's been kind of like the foundation of, of my music. But I think also that open format nature of campus radio also laid the foundation for Jay's kind of uh, mix-up nature or the hybridity of our sound. That's so beautiful to hear because as someone who's, who works in campus radio and has had a few years in this sector, to hear like a beautiful origin story unfold in campus radio is just so unbelievable to me. But um, Ian, I used to have a show at CKCU also when I did my undergrad at Carleton. Um, what was your show about at, at CKCU? Well, I started out uh, on the overnight uh, show, so we were there from 2 until 7 uh, in the morning with our mentor, Hubert, who is a Jamaican guy, mm-hmm. and uh, that was me and like my best friend in high school um, <laughs> playing, just filling up the time, basically. It's cool. There's, there's like no one listening at 
four or five in the morning. I mean, there are, but they're very strange people. Right. And so we would play like, uh, I didn't really know anything about jazz, but, but like you can just play stuff that you're vaguely aware of uh, and it doesn't even have to work. There's this amazing, one of the great things about college radio is that it accepts failure so much better. Oh my, um, yeah, all the time, <laughs> every day. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, that, that is part of, that is a key part of making something new, I think, is, is uh, being able to fail. But then uh, after that, uh, I guess I was still in high school, but I did a show on Fridays called Ego Trip. Oh, yeah. Being in, uh, I guess, the late 90s, even. Okay. Uh, early 2000s. And uh, the motto of the show, show was uh, funk to hip hop to drum and bass and everything in between. And so we would start it up uh, like mid tempo and slow and then gradually bring up the tempo until the end of the show. So I also. As I said, I got my start uh, in DJing, and I learned how to mix in part live on the air uh, at peak time on Friday nights. That sounds awesome. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to ask Dave, the current programming director, if there are any archives that, that I can listen to. <laughs> I have some I have some sets. I think I'm afraid to go back and listen sometimes, but um, yes, I'm sure that there is a beautiful mess going on in some of those. And Elena, you, you also worked at CHUO for a time. Is that correct? I did, yes. I was um, the funding drive coordinator. Oh, that's a that's a good job, but it's also a tough job. I mean, I wouldn't call it a good job. It's an <laughs> important job. Yes. <laughs> it's tough raising money for campus community radio, um, but it taught me how to fight for uh, a worthy cause. And then I was the marketing director. Um, and then another year, I was a volunteer uh, coordinator. And I think that that position was was the best position for me just encountering all different kinds of people who want to do everything from a video game uh, music show uh, to uh, a Senegalese music show um, and encountering people's different interests was really cool Um, but the radio show that I had was Hop the Fence which is a magazine style show focused primarily on like indie Canadian indie and uh, singer songwriter music and I basically used that show to meet some of my favorite musicians. I was pretty much a teenager into my early 20s, interested in getting to know the people who were inspiring me and um, moving me away from my previous musical obsession, John Mayer. I thought that oh that God. was very forward-thinking of me <laughs> <laughs> at the time. And so to, to meet these people, to meet artists like the Constantines and the local rabbits and uh, early Feist, um was really, really exciting. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't have the overnight show and weird people listening, <laughs> but I met some um, pretty cool people as a volunteer coordinator and then also my inspirations as a, a co-radio host of Hop the Fence. Yeah, that sounds amazing. It's thank you for indulging me in hearing about your campus radio past. Um, <laughs> I no one ever asked. Yeah, it's nice talking about it because we'll mention it, but we don't really dig into it. But as I hear the the different shows that we worked on, um, and bringing our 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 backgrounds into those shows is you know, Bonjay makes so much more sense to me. Me going from pop R and B, but being open to um, really forward thinking and kind of like weird indie music when indie in Canada was really just coming up. People were mm-hmm. still finding their legs and 
<clears throat> experimenting and cross-pollinating more back then. And then Ian being this teenager uh, who got into DJing hip-hop records and playing jazz and stuff like that. When I put those influences together, yeah, you, you, you get a taste for Bonje. So I think it's important to talk about. Well, that's that's really great to hear. You mentioned the Constantines, and immediately I just think of you returning to Sappy Fest, and of course Stephen Lamke of the Constantines is the creative director. And this is your yes. this is a return to Sappy Fest. Um, how was the first time like opening for Charles Bradley? Oh my God, it was magical. It was absolutely magical to be under that tent with everybody. You could really feel everybody in that space in that moment together but I mean the whole weekend felt like that we flew in the night before um, and we saw a band called Shark Attack oh yeah also known as Arcade, Arcade Fire, Fire. Yeah. <laughs> right. that was a big thing. Yeah. And I feel like they set the tone because they had just opened for U2 mm -hmm. but they played like they played like they had everything to lose you know like they really put everything into that performance and I feel like it set the tone for the rest of the weekend of like risk taking and giving it giving it your all so i felt pretty charged performing after that and then even more so seeing charles bradley and members of the daptones record uh band playing and him crying and going into the crowd and hugging almost everybody it felt like being at revival time church you know it was just spiritual and deep and true it was, it was yeah it was magical do you think that's kind of informed your relationship with the East Coast in general when you perform here? I always think it's that close. It's funny, yeah, we've played in Halifax before, um, but... It's pretty wild, too. It ha it yeah, yeah, it's cool. I, I, I like Sackville a lot. It makes me think of the, the liberal arts towns, yes. like college towns that we play in uh, the U.S. sometimes, right. where there's, like, the big local industry is the university, and then it's a very quaint town, but... Uh, it's different from most small towns because uh, I don't know it's like more artsy um, and I j it just it's an awesome place to get away I remember the last time we were there running into so many people from Toronto who were mm -hmm. out visiting and um, and getting away to another place is there is there like one kind of like main uh, coffee shop and like one main bookstore in Sackville I believe there is, but I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you yeah, what yeah, they're called. Yeah, yeah, of course, you're in Halifax. But I, I just, it's that kind of place. It's that kind right. of place. I'm looking forward to uh, coming back. I know there's a main diner that's got a great apple pie and ice cream on the main strip where a sappy fest happens. It's not too many steps removed from Gilmore Girls, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It, it, I mean, definitely in the East Coast, you find that there's like a tight-knit community here. Sometimes I, I say that living in Halifax is kind of like living in a high school just because everybody <laughs> knows everybody, everybody knows everybody's like dirty laundry and everybody runs into each other's exes and everybody's, just, they're super polite because they all know the dirt that they have on you. And that's kind <laughs> yeah. of what East Coast living is like. Um, but that was back in the early 2010s, 2010, 2011, when you performed the uh, opening for Charles Pradley at, at Sappy Fest and you just released your EP and, and now you come back with a full LP and there's so much time in between your first performance at Sappy to your performance uh, this weekend. Um, can you tell me about the time that just like, uh, elapsed in between the almost a decade that you waited uh, in between your EP to your LP? 
Yeah, I mean, that's how long it took us to finish the album. Uh, for me, uh, I came up DJing, and to realize the vision for this record that we had, had to learn to, to play, like to play keys, um, to learn a lot of the harmony and all, all of like the songwriter skills, I guess you could say, rather than the beat maker skills. Um, so it feels that we've progressed a lot since the last time uh, we were there. And, but really that is like, that is the, the mystery solved is that um, to realize this vision that we had of making a record that sounded like it was at the intersection of dance hall and Kate Bush and soul music. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just took a long time to, <laughs> to, to realize that concept and have it also be good. Yeah, I mean, there's the making of the album and the completion of the album, and then there's also the time thinking about the presentation of the music, you know, how are we going to play these songs live? And for me, uh, being the person that's singing in your face, I, f- I felt responsible for communicating the emotionality of the songs, um, and there's a lot of weight to the emotionality of these songs, and I just felt like there was a gap between... Um, where I was as a performer and where I knew I could be. And so there was a lot of time, um, got a big up Ontario Arts Council and Canada Council for the Arts. There was a lot of time developing, so doing movement training with Beta Michelle in Montreal and, and studying theatre performance at the University of, of London in the UK and all kinds of um, development, just trying to be stronger trying to be more true and then you know you do all this all this studying and you do all this training in this work but then there's this other level of getting uh, this other stage is getting better where you have to let it go and and put all that into context and work through the awkwardness of 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 discovering your new self and feeling your new self out as, as a performer so you know it took a long time but I feel grateful for it because I feel like we didn't take that time for granted. We put it for use. And performing now just feels, the exchange between us and the audience just feels so much stronger. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a hard thing to explain, but um, with that time, we just worked on getting better. One thing that I found really remarkable is that, you know, you as individuals, you change, you as a duo, you change. Canadian music scene is completely different and yet the theme of cities and and place and the places within us that always remained the foundation of the album how did you how did how did that remain the foundation over over close to 10 years well I think I'm to blame for that because outside of making music um, I work as an economist but not a um, dull building models that don't actually reflect reality economist, but more of a Jane Jacobs style economist, mm-hmm. She's my intellectual hero. And so um, like around the time that we did the last EP, I came to Toronto here to go to school and ended up focusing on that, um, that kind of work at graduate school. Um, not really urban planning, but I guess like the, the dynamics of various things at the urban scale, right? Like 
really the question of, you know, why do some places, uh, why are they healthy? Why do they succeed? Why do they grow? And why do other places um, uh, slowly uh, dissipate? Or why do they face challenges and stuff like that? So that is, you know, outside of music, that's my grand animating um, field, like the, the thing that I think about in the shower and when I wake up in the morning and when I go to sleep is what makes cities tick. It's a question that can never be fully answered. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that was just my way of, of, of working, working in all that stuff that I think about into the album that we made. And the beauty is that Alana is such a trim. I feel very lucky to have Alana as my musical partner because she brought the ideas and the grand concepts that I came up with, and she turned them into the personal songs. Songs don't exist to teach you about big, complex concepts. They exist to move you. Mm-hmm. And so we, we really wanted to tell the story of the way we live in cities today. So tell the stories of people around us and some of the dynamics that are specific to the 2010, things that did not exist in previous, in previous decades. Um, and uh, working with uh, this woman next to me, um, we, we achieved something that has some big ideas on it, but they also connect to the the personal and the people's lives. So, yeah. Ian, you're an economist, and Alana, your day job, uh, you worked at the CBC as a as an associate producer, working on such shows like Sleepover, with past CKD programmer Veronica Simmons. Uh, <laughs> yeah, how do you find that? Ian, your background as an economist, Alana's background as a radio producer. How do you found? How do you find that came together to tell this story? Well, um, something that I learned at, at CHUO, uh, sorry, not CHUO, CBC. Well, CHUO and CBC. I'll get back to the CHUO in a second. But at CBC, um, they really stress storytelling, and so I learned the difference between an idea, a concept of how we live in cities today, and um, I focused more on the this, this, this storytelling. So when I hear Ian talk about, you know, it's not quite urban planning, he's interested in understanding how does a place become successful. I'll take that and I want to understand, well, what place are you talking about? What does success look like? What does failure look like? And I think of a place like New York City that, you know, I think about what did a party look like when Sonic Youth was bumping into early talking heads in the Lower East Side? What is the, what would that story look like? What would it feel like? Um, and then thinking about the evolution of, of the changes of, in New York City since then. How did it become a less cool place? And what does it look like today as it's trying to, to turn back into um, the arts hub it used to be? That sounds like such a grand concept but I think about well what 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 is it like to live as an artist in a, in a place that is changing what does it feel like to be living in a place when you know that they're birthing cool or when you're like on the verge of like a musical revolution or something like that I want to capture the snapshot um, of what that looks like in 
in practice. And that's what I learned from, from CHUO is trying to create, trying to depict the vivid present. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's again, uh, any nod to campus radio and in, in an artist's uh, vision is always something that really makes me happy. So yeah, that's, that's really great. Thank you for that. Uh, I wanted to know a little bit about the album. So the album LP, Lush Life, um, in reading reviews on the album, interviews, I, I also, I would see dance hall inspired, dance hall influenced, but to me, dance hall just seems so big and that's like saying an album is rock influenced or rock inspired. It's, there's more deconstruction that needs to happen. Um, do you, do you find that there, that you attempted to deconstruct dance hall a little bit in your minds and, in, in, in making Lush Life? Yeah. Yeah. I, I always felt like, um, it's true, actually. I think you're the first person that's ever mentioned that. But uh, dance hall is like a big, a big tent, right? If you, even if, if you think about Sean Paul songs, yeah, temperature is so different from um, like Get Sister Busy Nancy or is so different from the older ones. It's it's not right. it's not very restricted by uh, by tempo, and with Lush Life. Uh, it was about trying to take uh, dance hall, but take it in its own direction. So um, to add more songwriting and Atlanta's um, indie influences and Atlanta's voice. So I, I don't know if there's any Jamaican patois anywhere on the record. Right. Somebody once said that we what we take from dance hall is everything that Major Lazer does not from right. dance hall um uh and it, yeah it was, I, I grew up listening to dance hall and you know around people whose parents were from the west indies and and uh in my mind this was about giving something back about creating something that could only come up in ottawa and and toronto and canada and the mix of things here and uh take it somewhere different and give something back maybe a bit like I think about they do that more in the UK, but I think about how the the Jay Paul record. Mm-hmm. I think it, you know, it's like a a Jay Dilla like a Slum Village record, mm-hmm. but but taking it someplace different. Or back in the '90s, Massive Attack taking uh, I guess dub dub music and that tradition, and then doing something unique and Bristol with it. We we did our own thing with dancehall. Yeah, I. When we were making this record, um, I hadn't been to Jamaica before, even though dance hall was such a huge influence on my father's Jamaican. And before that, I would say we make uh, like emo dance hall or weird dance hall, and I owned uh, part of the part of the genre. But after going to Jamaica and talking to actual Jamaicans and being in like Beanie Man's studio and talking to his producer, um, I realized. I had to change the language and say that our music is dance hall influenced because I remember asking um, asking Lynch, you know, what is dance hall? Because he was saying, you know, people think that they know they know dance hall, they don't know dance hall. So I asked, how do you know how do you know that genre? And he said, you have to live it. Dance hall mm-hmm. isn't just a sound, but it's a culture and it's a way of life, and it comes from people who many would not dare to encounter or live amongst or you know interact with and so i'm careful not to own dance hall as a as a 
a culture, even though I'm Jamaican, that doesn't make you dance hall. I'm careful not to own that that genre because I don't live it. But, you know, it is part of my being. It is part of my identity. And, like, the music is just undeniable. That's what makes dance hall so good. So for me with Bon J, I think that we take some of the elements. Bass is mandatory in Bon J. Um, kick and, and syncopation is almost mandatory in, in Bonje. So we're influenced by dancehall, but we're not necessarily making uh, dancehall music. Post-dancehall. It's like post dance. I just coined that yeah. right now. <laughs> it's post-dancehall. But um, my love for it is so deep and true, and my it's like my muscle memory developed with dancehall in it. You know, it's the only music that I that I've consistently know, known how to dance to, you know, and instinctively know how to dance to. It's something that's inexplicable. So, um, yeah, I say that that we're influenced by dance hall unless that we can own it as a, as a genre. I think you're right, Alana, when you talk about dance hall being a culture, uh, being so much more to people than just a genre of music. But it also refers to a venue. It also refers to a relationship with a space. And dance exactly. has a long history of being accessible for for an audience in terms of how the sound system is set up. Even uh, given that your album is about the relationship with cities and the relationship with with plays, did you did, was that a deliberate uh, move to dance hall music and incorporating that in your in in Bonje? No, that was just a natural love of of, of dance hall, and it was a common musical language that we both understood. It was a tool that we had still learning production. I hadn't started touching um, beat making in any way. Um, and I was writing songs, but I was really interested in doing covers, which is a dance hall uh, or a reggae music tradition. They, they call it versions in, in Jamaica. And so, you know, I was, I was picking the indie music I was hearing in campus community radio, like uh, Maps by the Yaya Yaz, and then marrying them with the dance hall rhythms that Ian was finding in record stores when he would go crate digging every week. And we put those things together and we, we came up with dance hall reggae versions of, of uh, music that was new at the time. And it felt novel, but um, I, I think that we kept going with it because it just felt good. It felt natural. It wasn't a forced uh, musical marriage. Um, and then as we started to develop our own song, our own song, those genres were part of Bonje's DNA at that time. Um, but we hadn't thought about space or anything, but I, I love that you brought that up because, um, you know, when I think about dance hall, the reason why it belongs to Jamaica and nowhere else, I think is because of sound system culture, not just as uh, musical amplification that spreads the music sonically across the city, but also the sound system as a socio-political tool. It was mm -hmm. a way for communities of uh, lower uh, economic, social or economic, economic um, status in, in Kingston. It's a way that they could <clears throat> broadcast their music and bypass radio, which was <clears throat> you know, primarily playing music that would uh, tease uptown audiences. So people in downtown were like, well, we're going to play our music, and we're going to play music that is going to criti criticize the government. Oh, we're also going to play music that is going to talk about um, sex and going to be quote-unquote slack. 
and we're just going to, you know, you're going to hear us and you're going to hear us loud. We're going to take over this, this space. And that, you know, that uh, venue, that musical tool would influence how the music uh, would influence how the music um, was produced uh, because uh we are experiencing technical difficulties all right we had a bit of a technical issue here at ckdu but all is resolved we're back on the line with alana alana can you hear me yes i can hear you all right. Uh, we were just in the middle of a very, very good conversation about dance hall music. And, I think uh, I, was, I was going on a little bit too long, and, and technology <laughs> intervened. So I can summarize. We were talking about dance hall, um, which is a tremendous influence on, on Bonjay, and talking about um, genre's relationship to space in the context of, of Jamaica. And I think of Kingston, the music... Uh, capital of of Jamaica, and I think about um, the spaces and the uh, technology that dance hall is played through and played in. When I go to Jamaica, um, I've I've never been to an indoor party in all the time that I've been in Jamaica. It's outdoors, it's open air, the, the speaker systems are stacked 10 feet high, and they're loud, and then and they're in your face, and um, even the technology of a Jamaican sound system is different than uh, North American systems. In Jamaica, you can tune the frequencies. Um, there's fine tuning, and so you can play it that much louder. That impacts how the music is made um, when you're trying to broadcast music across a large open space. When you have a system that is capable of playing so much louder, uh, and, and, and you put that in the context of a, a music community that is highly competitive and always trying to push to create something new and, and be the best, that means wanting to be louder than the others, and maybe that, that means the bass is hitting harder than, than your competitor's song. That's going to influence how you make music in the studio, because you're making music to be played on sound systems, not in confined spaces with um, certain sound limitations that you might have in in Canada, um, and so space is impacting production, and production is is impacting space, and there's this relationship, this um, symbiosis between uh, between the two, and it's it's a beautiful, powerful thing. Yeah. Uh, if you're just joining us right now, you are listening to CKDU, 88.1 FM in Halifax, Nova Scotia. This is Super Connected. I'm your host, Francella. We are talking with Alana Stewart from Banjay. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, because you've, you've written a lot about the duality that you feel in the indie scene. You go to shows, and you can expect not you, to be the only person who looks like you in shows. But given with your success, with others' uh, success, I'm thinking of Lido Pimienta um, and others, do you think that things are changing I think that, if I'm speaking honestly, I think that things should be changing. I don't mm-hmm. know that they are. Right. Um, I think that uh, we are seeing an increased number of um, artists of color, although I, I don't like the, the inherent otherness of that term, artists of color, but um, we're seeing more artists of color on bills, but I'm starting to see the same artists of color, I'm not really seeing um, 
multiplicity. I'm not right. seeing an increased number on bills. I'm just seeing that they're, um, I'm not seeing true diversity, I guess. You know, I'm, I'm seeing similar names that I'm not seeing um, more than a handful. It's still majority, uh, predominantly. It, it's pretty monochromatic, I'll say. Right. Um, so I, I'm, I'm noticing that there's a heightened awareness and I and you know believing in this community that I'm a part of, I have faith that people want to make change. But um, I'm curious about the depth of that, uh, of, of the the strength of the commitment to do the kinds of things that we need to do to make consistent change and sustainable change. Um, I look at I look at bands and the band makeups band's makeup uh, isn't all that diverse, you know, so you may book which profit, um, but m- most of the, the, the traditional rock bands aren't all that diverse, you know, right. it's still pretty segregated in, in certain ways. I don't know if, if there's, um, if the networks are as diverse, I don't know if the collaborations are as diverse, um, and so I guess what I'm saying in short is I'm seeing change happen, but it still seems surface level. And that's not a critique, you know, change happens slowly. And, um, you know, as humans, we have, you know, certain things in our blind spots, but it won't stop me from speaking up and saying that I think that there's further that we can go. Um, And I have faith that we can get to where we need to be. And I think that the music industry will be stronger for it. You know, there's, there's, clear evidence that diversity um, fosters innovation and I think that especially in the indie community uh, a community that um, is meant to be leading the charge and in, in bringing out new sounds mm-hmm. I think that that, in, that innovation is crucial and so if we're lacking diversity and therefore lacking innovation you know our community is at risk of stagnating and so it's not um I think that uh, people need to realize the benefit to the the cultural ecosystem as a whole. It's not just about trying to, um, it's not just about trying to give one group what they need or what they want, although that is very true and it is a very real need. I think that everybody benefits from this, and I'm not sure that everybody recognizes that. Right. I guess, uh, what what do you think needs to happen for that change to finally start? I'm still I'm still learning. I'm still learning. Um, I mean, I could come up with an answer for for this interview. You right. know, let's have more events that uh, are are made to bring different people together. But mm-hmm. you know, it's like if you've ever been to an elementary school dance, it's just natural that like attracts like. The boys will congregate and talk and be at one side of the room and the girls will be at another side of the room although you know i'm sure that there's more uh, depth and nuance to people's identities today but i do think that like attracts like and if you put a bunch of people in the room they'll tend to uh, even out, out of social awkwardness um congregate with people who talk like them or act like them or, or understand them so i don't think it's just a matter of bringing people together i think it's it has to be deeper, and we need to find things that um, address people's mindsets 
and their understanding um, of diversity and, and true understanding of what it means um, even before we start talking about um, creating initiatives that encourage diversity. What is it that we're talking about when we, when we talk about diversity? So I think it's, you know, if we can do things that um, impact people's understanding of the word and, um, and understand um, just, just, I guess, if we can encourage people, if we can encourage initiatives or create initiatives that um, get to the mindset and not just the surface level actions, I think that that will create the most sustainable change. Mm-hmm. What that is, I don't know yet, but I'm working on some things to help understand that and, and work towards solutions. I mean, uh, admittedly, that, that was a question I had for Ian. Just, okay. Yeah, as a white guy, like what he can do uh, to improve things uh, and what yeah. his role is. Because the more we talk about diversity in the music scenes, whether it's in Halifax or Toronto or Ottawa or Vancouver, the more I realize that it's not really up to people of color entirely. It's, it's really up yeah. to white people to be at the conversation and at times to lead the conversation. Yeah, or to, to not say anything, to mm-hmm. listen, you know, yeah. as well to create space and realize how much um, how much space they're given and right. um, and to share that. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, being in an in interracial band that does sing and or does communicate stories of diverse stories of the way we live in cities today. Those are conversations we've had and. Um, we're still doing our own learning and understanding what that means. And, you know, the more that I educate myself and, and realize um, certain career limitations or economic uh, limitations related to my um, my external identifiers, I'm realizing things that I hadn't asked for before that I need support from um, allies and support from my band members. So we're still navigating those, those conversations. But... Um, I think, you know, listening is important and not taking things uh, personally is important. Um, just simple human things. How, you know, how would you treat somebody that you care about? You know, what does what does care look like to you personally and treating people accordingly? It sounds trite, but I feel like we need to start there because many people get their backs up and think it's a personal attack mm-hmm. when, you know, this is just somebody in your community asking for what, for what they need. I wanted to ask you about um, how how publicly you've talked about the meanings behind songs, the stories behind songs, the process in making songs. I was curious because there's there's just so much output and and it's really great and so informative to read. But I was wondering how much does mystique factor in your music, if at all? <laughs> well, that used to be our mo. You know, that word would come up in. Um, our songwriting sessions with each other and, and Ian would talk about mystique, you know, as this um, this treasured thing and uh, for, for me and the work that I've been doing in the last few years as an artist vulnerability has been um, uh, a key ingredient that I had felt that I had been missing and so maybe we're revealing, I don't know I'm, I'm curious to know if it's, if it's too much, if it's too overwhelming, but I, I would hope that we could communicate some of the influences um, behind the songs and some of the personal stories, but also inviting people um, 
to realize that they're not alone in their own experiences, to also communicate how um, similar we all are on a basic human emotional um, level. And so mystique is important. There's still so much that people don't know. I, I think that um, we were trying to share, we were trying to communicate meaning, hoping that um, people would find in the music a shared meaning between us, between them, and therefore who else, you know, who knows who else they're connecting with. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we're almost out of time here, but uh, I guess I want to know just a little bit about the meaning behind the phrase lush life because now the album has a life of its own. And, and then I, I guess I'm just wondering, like, what do you think that life could look like or what that life is? Um, well, Lush Life was influenced by um, a Richard Price novel. And um, in that story, it captured, uh, it captured um, modern New York um, as it was gentrifying people who are getting kicked out of their, their neighborhoods and the people coming in, what that mix looked like. Um, and I, I feel like we're still living it, you know, and, and um, Lush Like the album is a, a sonic, a sonic uh, recount of some of the stories in, in that book and communicating the ideas in, in that novel. Um, but in terms of uh, where Lush Life will go, I mean... Cities are still attracting all different kinds of people. You know, there's still so many stories to tell, and um, we're making new music that is is continuing to speak to the nuance of of modern life in the city. Yeah. So it's it's. I feel like there's yeah the album still has a lot of life to live. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Alana, for joining me today, and and uh, send my. Uh, gratitude to Ian as well. Uh, Bonjay here for the hour at Super Connected here on CKDU. Uh, apologies once again, listeners, at the technical mix-up. Uh, Lana, I'm not sure if you heard the in-between, but I mentioned something about how this is just the spirit of campus radio and how <laughs> those everyday failures were wonderfully predicted by Ian today. So thank you so <laughs> much for joining me. <laughs> uh, and it was thank a pleasure talking to us. it was a pleasure talking to you and anybody from CHUO and CKCU. So thank you once again. Thank you. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure.